Hi, I'm Liz Cully, and welcome back to Cool, Cool, Cool. Each week, I give you a glimpse into what I think is cool and chat with a ton of people that are definitely cool. No topic is off bounds unless, I guess, it's not cool. Welcome to Cool, Cool, Cool. I feel like an age-old national rhetoric has been California is filled with hippies and drug addicts and weirdos, and it's this terrible left coast place. While for me, as a weirdo liberal from California, I've always told myself the story that the South is a terrifying racist place filled with white people with no teeth, but they have very good barbecue. During the pandemic, we saw tons of left coast weirdos flock to cities like Dallas, Nashville, Orlando in search of better tax breaks, better weather, I guess, and more space. And for those sticking to states like Texas, Tennessee, they had better barbecue than California. Nashville has become, dare I say it, more Hollywood than Hollywood has ever been. You've got the Bravo lebs, the musicians, the actors, the models, the TikTokers. They all moved to Nashville and have created what appears to be this Coachella-esque country aesthetic peppered with ribs and rhinestones smack dab in the middle of the United States. On March 2nd of this year, 2023, Tennessee was the first state to pass Bill 3, a.k.a. the anti-drag bill, banning the performance of topless dancers, go-go dancers, exotic dancers, strippers, male or female impersonators in the presence of minors. First of all, who the fuck is taking a minor to a bar, to a strip club, to a topless bar, to a go-go bar, to any bar? Who? Like, period. Who's taking their kids to bars? You heard in my previous episode um, last month, or maybe it's even two months now, with Peppermint and Sherry Vine, how ridiculous this bill is for a variety of reasons and how targeted it is to further the violence and prejudice against not only queer folks, but trans folks in particular. I chatted with two Nashville dwellers for this episode. Uh, one is an old friend of mine who just moved there, Bronwyn uh, Wyndham, who you might know from the Real Housewives of Orange County. Um, she identifies as a lesbian and has just moved there with her partner, Jen, and her uh, four young children. I also talked to Vidalia Ann Gentry, who is a native of the South and a prominent figure in Nashville. Vidalia and I were just interviewed um, a couple of weeks ago, and I just fell in love with her during the interview. I caught up with Bronwyn this morning, actually, uh, in a tattoo shop in Nashville while her partner, Jen, I don't know if she got a new tattoo or was working on an old one. Are you wearing cowboy hats every day? You look great in a hat. I'm wearing cowboy hats every day. Uh, it's not because of how it looks. It's because I took up my extensions and I haven't brushed or washed or done my hair since we moved here. How amazing does it feel? Zero <laughs> extensions, though. Must feel like better. No, I have real hair. I have real nails. I don't have a fake tan. I mean, like I've just Jen was actually saying to me last night. She's like, it's amazing how you've really just fallen into yourself and your comfortability and like, I'm eating food now. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, newsflash, none of us are in Los Angeles still. So I'm glad exactly. one of us is eating because I'm certainly not. So thank yeah. God you are. 
it's just like, it's such a different life here. And I'm, I'm loving it. I mean, before we moved, I had a full freak out. What am I doing? I called Anthony Ramos at glad he's a good friend of mine. I was like, I think I might just made the biggest mistake ever. What am I doing? Where am I moving my family? And he's like, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And he kind of put me in contact with a lot of queer people out here. And it's ended up being like Jen and I said today, as we're driving back into Nashville, we've been gone for 10 days. We're driving in this morning. We live here. I love it. We'll never go back. When, how did you and Jen decide on Tennessee? So a lot of things were going on in my life. There's a lot that I haven't talked about in the last year. There's a lot I've kept quiet because of my kids. Right. Um, but I basically, I, I'm a single mom. Um, yeah. and the California court systems are not the best. So I still haven't gotten child support or spousal support. So I've been on oh. my own. Um, which so Orange I, County is not exactly a place anybody wants to be a single. It's not exactly a cheap place to live. It's not cheap. Right. So <laughs> what had happened was I my my life was sort of falling apart financially. My parents were helping me a lot, but like I couldn't afford to send my kids to private school. I couldn't right. afford the house I was living in. I couldn't afford anything. So Jen and I were like, okay, we need to go find a place with great public schools good family values, you know, where the kids can grow up running around outside that we like. And we want to be close to a city because we still are, you know, we still need that touchstone of, of course. Um, so we did a road trip and then that was about five or six months ago. And we ran to all these cities that I had researched and we drove into Franklin, which is right outside Nashville. I just knew, I knew yeah. we were home. I found the house we're living in. I was like, this is where I'm supposed to be. The universe was like, this is it. Well, Nashville is such an interesting place because really, and I'm sure you had friends or you saw it, so many people migrated from L.A., San Francisco. I mean, I would even say some folks from New York really migrated to Nashville because you're right. It has that city element. It's still like, I mean, listen, if you've lived in L.A. or Orange County long enough, like you need, you know, your smoothie place, you need your whole food, yeah. like you need those things, right? Yeah. And so the good thing I think about Nashville and Franklin and the surrounding city, because Nashville sounds like it's really starting to like, similarly to Los Angeles, like I don't even live, I left West Hollywood, you know what I mean? I live 25 minutes outside of the city now. Um, it's starting to kind of expand. So you kind of have those nice to you know, it's, you have the rule, amazing. but you have the things yeah. that you, you like. Need. We have a big home on two acres, but we can be in the city in 20 minutes. It's brilliant. That's you amazing. Know, I, can, I can go to the Soho house and lay out by the pool and I can go into the country and go swimming on a lake where there's no people. I mean, like both of those things and they're both who I am. So it really is. I mean, amazing. I would, that sounds, br sign me up. If my wife yeah. wasn't licensed in the state of California, I would be. I, I it's think, amazing. Yeah. And like Greenwood in East Nashville, where I am right now at the shout out to Wealth and Taste Tattoo Company. Um, Greenwood has a huge lesbian um, amount of people. Like that's where all the gay women, there's a lot of gay women here, like a lot. And they live in Greenwood and it's very queer friendly, cool lesbian bars. And then there's a lot of people in country music like Lily Rose, uh, like Brooke Eden, that are just sort of normalizing, you know, queer women in country music. It's it's so cool to be here. 
It sounds like it. I'm like, this sounds incredible. Have you found, I know you and I were texting a little bit and I still want to introduce you to my old friend who listens to this podcast, who's lovely. How has it been like other moms or like, I guess the kids aren't in school. You're waiting and they'll be there kind of all summer and then they start in the fall. No, they started the school year. So we put them in school for about a month or two, like a month and a half. I had to move fast. Like I would have waited till the school year was over, but some things had happened. Sean stopped paying tuition. Yeah. So you had to go. When, when I, I was, I had a plan. And then one thing about me is I land on my feet. So like there was about a three week period where it was like, holy crap, what am I going to do? And I pivoted and I got the kids out here. My mom helped out. Like it, it was a lot. It was very hard. Jen was so supportive. So the kids did start school. And how are the other parents? I mean, you are a public figure and a public queer figure. Yeah, were they cool? You know, um, yeah, yes. So first of all, I am not the most social person. A lot of times people think when they meet me out, oh, you're so outgoing. I'm not. <laughs> I love to stay home. <laughs> um, so when I moved here, we obviously met some of the parents at the kids' school. But for the most part, I keep to myself. Like right. Jen and I kind of do our own thing. We have our friends in Nashville. But like I I really love being by myself. Got so it. I will say when we and I, I'm obviously next year, I'm going to do, you know, the room mom, join the PTA. I do all that stuff for the kids because I know it's they love it. But like I'm not looking for mom friends right now. Sure. I'm, I'm 45. I've had seven kids. I don't need friends with people to be friends with people because they have kids, my kids age. Like, I'm just not in that world anymore. You asked me, how are the moms? I'm like, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, no, fair enough. I mean, listen, it's so funny because I, I hear that, you know, and I think there is, and you, like you said, you have kids varying ages that are some, are any of your kids 18? Isn't, is your, isn't your oldest 18? No, my oldest is 22. She just got engaged. That's psychotic. Oh, that's right. I saw that on your Instagram. Congrats. That's exciting. Um, then I have a 20 year old that's in college and then Jakey graduated. So I have three that are going to be in college in California. Yeah. You're like, I don't need to make, I've been doing this mom friend bullshit for 22 years. I'm, I'm done. I'm, I'm done. I, if I meet someone and they have a child, that's great, but that's not the basis of our friendship. I will say though, we were at Franklin pride, um, which two days after we moved here, they were trying to cancel it to protect the children, but, um, they ended up keeping it. So we went to Franklin pride and someone pretty high up at my kid's school. I, I don't know if she's talked about it, so I don't want to say who it is, but she was there with her daughter who had just come out. Oh, that's and nice. so it really was like when I called the school and was talking about Jen and I, you know, mom and stepmom, they were like, Oh, okay. And they've been really, really gracious and amazing. That's great. I just, yeah. you know, you always get, you don't think about those things and then you, you kind of sort of have to. I mean, I'm in California in a suburb that's pretty chill, but it's like we, I hesitate as two women even putting up a pride flag for this month if I'm being, and I have a flagpole and there are a few people in our neighborhood that, you know, that fly them, but I'm like, I'm a little nervous, you know? I don't know. You have those kind of hesitations, or I do at least. Um, oh, so it's nice, you know? For sure, living in the South, I don't have a pride flag on my home. Um, if it was just me and Jen, I would, but I also have four little kids. Yeah. So I don't have a pride flag on my house because I don't know if it's safe. We do live, there is a lot of conservative people here. Now, there's a lot of people are great. 
a lot of people are very conservative. You know, right. you have to walk a fine line. And I don't have any pride stickers on my car. Yeah. You know, I don't want my car to get keyed or whatever. Like you do have to put safety first. Um, on my Instagram, I talked about a story with Jen. You know, Jen is non-binary. She is very queer presenting. And she's had a very different experience here than I have. Got it. And one of the times she was being harassed, a group of men, she was on a hike by herself, were threatening to do things to her sexually to really? you know, make her straight. And she ended up hiding in the woods for 20 minutes. She had no cell service. She was really scared. So there is that element once you get outside Nashville. Nashville is a safe haven. It's amazing. But we still are in the South. And there is a lot of dis disinformation. I was walking around my neighborhood. And this guy, I kept passing him. So at a certain point, I'm like, hey, we should introduce ourselves. We started talking. And I was not with Jen. It was just me. I'm very straight presenting. And um, he said, oh, did you move for Cal move from California because of the trans stuff? And I didn't understand what he meant. I'm like, no, what is Tennessee's trans friend? Like, what? And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, everyone in California is trying to make the kids trans. Is that why you moved here? And I was like, okay, so I'm queer. I live here with my partner who's non-binary. My child is gender fluid. And this is the reality. You know, when Jacob came to me with gender dysphoria, I was there. I love you. I support you. But I went back and I told him this. I went back into my room and cried because people like you are going to make their life so hard. Right. This isn't something that we are doing to our children. This is how we are supporting our partners, how we're supporting. And we ended up talking for about 10 minutes in our and he apologized and said, I'm so sorry. And I think that is the biggest thing that I'm finding here is that yelling at someone for their views isn't making a difference. But those one-on-one -on -one interactions, when you really talked to someone, those are having a huge impact. Yeah. Huge. Jen and I just got back from what we call our listening tour, Arkansas, Oklahoma, Kansas. And we are learning what people think and what they're, you know, what they're taught and what their views are. And just getting to know people on a very real level is making the biggest difference I've seen. I think you're right. And I think when pe it's hard for people, especially when you come from an I statement or from, you know, I'm a mother, this is my experience, you know, with my child. I think it's, it, it, it can't, unless this person really truly is, you know, has zero empathy or just doesn't want to have any empathy or think about having any empathy, I think it's hard for people not to say, okay, wait, this is a real human being in front of me that lives yeah. in my neighborhood that's kind, that took the time to talk to me. Hmm, maybe you're right. Maybe it's not that big of a deal. Or perhaps maybe that person that I might never meet in my life, I don't need to have a direct say or right. a harmful, you know, perspective on their life. Um, well, and, you know, the drag... This whole ridiculous drag ban is was so shocking to me in Nashville, given the fact that it is such a music performance focused, really like destination in the whole world. And I love a drag show. And some of the best drag performers in the world have come from Nashville. Have you gone? Have you two gone to any drag shows yet? Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm sober. So my favorite activities when I go to bars is a drag show because it gives me something to do. Correct. There you, <laughs> you know, go. 
So when we go out, it's mainly two drag shows. And we've made friends here in the drag community really quickly. Yeah. Just because, you know, these are our people. And there's almost this underground queer community here of amazing people that once you're kind of like tuned in, it's actually more accepting than West Hollywood is in a lot of ways because everyone here that is on the fringes of society in a way that's mm-hmm. not that, you know, that Southern Baptist cookie cutter thing finds each other. And it doesn't matter what you look like, how old you are, what race you are. It is a really cool community. So we have definitely local and, you know, um, people that come into town, whatever, we're always there. I was another neighbor. I walk a lot. Um, I don't have a gym, so I walk a lot. But another neighbor, we were introducing ourselves and she was like, I don't care what anyone does. My son is gay. Just keep those drag queens away from the kids. And Jen and I are sitting there and we're like, okay, we'd literally been in the neighborhood for maybe a day or two. And we're like, okay, what do we do? And in my head, I'm like, once again, this is when we have a teaching moment. So I'm like, well, you know, one of our best friends is a drag queen. He just had a baby in the NICU. Um, You know, like, you don't think he should read to his child? You know, my best friend, Logan, like literally has a baby that was born at 33 weeks. But you don't think that they should be reading to their kids? And I think that's another time we're like drag queens. Okay, well, we all know them as people. Like, I don't know about you, but a lot of my drag queens friends also have day jobs. and Of course they do. You know what I mean? Like, and just like I can go out and do very inappropriate things at times with my girlfriends, I can go home the next day and make pancakes and read a book. Like, I have in my life done some crazy shit at bars. (laughs) <laughs> right, right, right. We all have. Do my kids, you know, like, and that is human nature. You can go have a provocative drag show one night and then go read a book the next day, just like we all can, you know? Well, a hundred percent. Or it's like, what about all these, you know, cis men having illicit affairs or going on Ashley Madison? Should we like take their children away from them because they have like sex outside their marriage. It's not my fucking business, candidly. And I don't know why you're equating somebody's job that actually doesn't have anything to do with sex with sex, right? I mean, it. I think that's... I think it's part of a bigger agenda. I mean, honestly, I think it's part of a much bigger agenda. You know, the conservative party has an amazing PR machine. And if they really were to just be like, they have to focus on that because the truth is, this is an open carry state and our children are being murdered. You know, we had covenant school not that long ago, about three or four months ago. So let's not focus on the fact that your guns laws are killing children. We have to refocus because that's a billion dollar industry. And the Republican party has some of the best manipulation, brainwashing and PR campaign I've ever seen. So as long as people focus over here, save the children from the drag Queens. Not the guns that are killing them, the number one. Yeah, I mean, you know I support Here for the Kids and Syrah from exactly. So it's it's crazy. You recently, whether it was legal or not, had the most adorable wedding in Vegas I've ever seen. (laughs) Um, I love that for you. I love that you went that route. Did you always want to have a Vegas wedding or was this something you and Jen kind of talked like? Talk me through it. I've seen some of your interviews, but I want to hear it from you. I mean, it. I think it is one of those things I've always wanted to do, like that spur of the moment, 
you know, love thing. Obviously, I'm still legally married, which I'm working on. It's just going very slow. But we had planned to do that at the end of our first road trip that was cut short because we were in a car accident. So we replanned it. We went out there. I didn't even think anyone was going to notice when I posted it. Like, I assumed everyone knew I was still legally. <laughs> well, I saw it and I was like, yes, girl, yeah. get it. I was like, I love this for you. Also, but I like, think Jen is so I don't obviously know her other than her trying to help us figure out this Zoom. But um, yeah. Jen seems like such a you seem to have really found your person or at least that's what it appears. No, I really found my person. There's a lot of things I did. And this sounds horrible. I always thought in relationships, there was one person that loved more. Right. That's not true. It's not. Yeah. I didn't know that that was true. Like we just love each other so much. I mean, we are never apart. We like, she's my best friend. Like it's. I love it. I didn't, if I, I didn't know you could feel this way. I thought people were lying. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm so happy you found it. And I loved the, I just thought, I assumed you had gotten married. I just was like, oh, we are going to get married. Um, Okay. We are going to get married as soon as we can. We're going to get engaged as soon as possible. I have a plan in mind. We are going to get married as soon as I'm legally divorced. And I will give Sean credit for one thing. So in the state of California, if you get remarried, you don't get spousal support. He did put in the divorce thing that we're working on, then I will still get spousal support if I marry her, just her, because he likes her so much. I love that. <laughs> I love that. But yeah, We're definitely going to get married as soon as possible. We're going to do something small here in Nashville. We're going to do something small here in Nashville. I want to keep it bet- like a centric. I don't want a big yeah. thing. Yeah. I want cozy and private. I I don't need three foot hair. <laughs> oh my, please don't do three. Unless it's like fun because you want to do, you know right, what I mean? Right. Like, I just, at, at 45, I don't need bridesmaids, you know, like I'm, I'm no. not. Yeah. I was 34 and I thought we were too old when we got. But she had the big wedding. You know, she's already been married and divorced. So she's had the big uh, Long Island wedding. I have had the. The wedding was, we just want this to be us and the kids. What's your favorite Nashville meal that you've had so far since you're the, since you're the only one eating in this relationship between you and I? Um, It's so fun to eat here. Uh, But barbecue, there is a barbecue joint right on Broadway, which you would think would be awful because it's so touristy. It's called like Joe's. It's right next to the boot store. That has been the best food. I mean, there's fancy restaurants too, like Nuva, I think it's called. There are, there is that there is, but I'm not a fancy restaurant girl. I'd rather go to like the tiny, like our yeah. Thai place is in the shopping center, 20 minutes out of the yes. Like Jen is that person that does all the reviews and yep. finds the best real food, but barbecue. I yeah. was vegan for so long. I'm so glad I'm not anymore. Oh, you can't be vegan in Nashville. Thank God. I love this for you. Like having spur of the moment weddings. Moving to a place with two acres, not being vegan. This is perfect. I'm I'm living my dream. Like I'm literally living the dream. (laughs) And my kids get picked up from a school bus in front of our house and dropped back off. I don't even have to drive my kids to school. I mean, just for that alone. I never have to wear a bra ever again for the rest of my life. Listen, I barely wear bras it is. I hate leaving the house, but I was really feeling the whole concept of living on two acres, eating barbecue, and uh, having your kids picked up. 
I know pick up and drop off. What a real mess that is. Like I said earlier, I met Vidalia a couple of weeks ago. Um, By the way, her acronym is VAG, which is incredible. And we were both being interviewed uh, by Soho House about the state of pride in the United States. And during the interview, I found Vidalia's views on the anti-drag bills and the homophobia that is penetrating the South to be really insightful, knowledgeable, and very well-rounded. So I really wanted to have her on the show so that she could uh, not only give you insight into that, but also a little insight into uh, the audition process for Drag Race, which as a Drag Race fan, I loved. Did you grow up in Tennessee? Yeah. Um, So I was like a Navy brat for like the first like three years of my life. My parents met um, in the Navy and then I was born in Charleston, South Carolina in the Navy hospital there. Um, and then my brother was born in uh, Monterey. Like, so we, before I was two, we had done a complete like coast to coast trip. Move. Oh, like Monterey, California. Uh-huh. Love and it. Okay. By the time I was three, we had like, my parents were like, we're not doing that anymore. Like, we're going to go reserve. And they like landed here in Nashville. Um, so from like age three to 18, I was here. Grew up like in the Methodist church, but my parents aren't like devout. Like, it was just more kind of like. Like my dad grew up Baptist. My mom grew up Polish Catholic. They just like they were Americans who just church is what you do with your family on Sunday and what meets in the middle. And they found Methodism at that time. Like they are still like practicing Christians, but like denomination has never mattered. Sure. Like, they're just like, what's the church that's going to like let us do charitable work <laughs> on the weekends kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so grew up in that church. And that's where I like got my start, like on stage and in music and kind of where I first found like I had some affinity for performance, which I feel like is true for so many of us little Southern gay boys. And then, you know, I um, I found piano first and started playing piano at age five. And then at age 10 in middle school, I started playing viola. And um, Vi- how does then. one land on the viola? Because um, I'm a pain in the ass. Uh, basically, it was the so they did like a little like panel for the middle school students, like if they wanted to like check out like band or orchestra. And I saw the viola as the underdog, the one that like <laughs> the one that people weren't paying attention to. And I was like, yep, that's the one for me. <laughs> like, at, like a pain wow. in the ass at age of 10. Like, just yeah, like, be a problem. <laughs> wow. That is what a strong choice. Oh, yeah. And you didn't choose viola as your drag name. You could have. No. Yeah. I mean, that would have been an option. I don't know. I guess it felt like a little bit on the nose. Do you ever play the viola like during any of your shows i have um so i've competed in a couple of pageants and i've used it um as talent presentation in some way in the pageants have i used it all three times i did genesis where i did and then yeah so i guess like every time i've competed in a pageant i have used viola as like my talent presentation i mean as one should if one knows how to play the viola i feel like you would be doing a disservice to the entire audience yeah and also what a way to like just come out the gates strong. Yeah. Have you ever seen anybody else pull out a viola? Um, I mean, in drag, no. I have seen like there's a there's a queen in Texas that does play cello in drag occasionally. Like there's a couple people that like have started bringing their kind of like instrumental and other artistic backgrounds into their drag performances. But it is very it's very niche and very rare. I guess I found that like the one problem I was experiencing with an acoustic instrument. And, you know, this was years ago. I haven't done pageants in a while. Not that I'm opposed to. They're just, to do them well, they're a massive undertaking. And 
I found that acoustic instruments in gay bar settings. Oh yeah, forget it. Don't don't really have like the best. If I had, and now I think I could could probably build a team or like find the resources or the network to like help me like amplify myself in a way that would actually read. But at the time, I was like two years in drag and like hadn't really like resituated myself in Nashville enough to like have the connections in the music industry that I have now. So I, I'm like definitely like on the precipice of like really bringing it back in. Like I've talked about doing some songwriting. I want to get my music more involved. I mean, I'm like, I'm the kind of person that I want to do a one woman show like that. Like that's I, I just As need you me, should. you know, like that's all I need. So that's definitely something I want to include in that. But yeah, I um, I then, you know, like went off and went to school for that. I went to the Eastman School of Music in Rochester, New York for my undergrad and then did my master's at North Texas, which is in Denton, just north of Dallas. Um, and those were both like in <laughs> music. Uh huh. OK, full on. So, yeah, and what a- was the goal to be? Like a session musician to be, go on your own. I mean, you you're on. What was the goal there? Um, I think it was always being on stage. I sure. don't know how like how like stoic I was in that at the time. I'm according to people that follow astrology, I am like very very Gemini, <laughs> and especially in the part of like I'm just going with the flow, man. Like what tastes good today. Like <laughs> got it. So the fact that like viola has stuck around through that energy for so long is probably a testament to the fact that like it means a little bit more. And then now I kind of like looking back, I'm like, oh, yes, like it's the stage that like I've always loved. And like the viola, like also a great love. And it's like now how do we like figure out how to put them together in a way that makes everything work? But yeah, I I realized pretty quickly after school because I did do a few auditions for like um like orchestral seats, like which is like the desk job of music. Totally. Um, And I don't know that I realized that at the time. And, you know, I did a handful of auditions, like one, like a, a substitute spot here and there. And like, you know, and then you have to like fly out to the spot and just the whole game of like, I mean, for viola, let's use Nashville Symphony, for example. Um, I think in my lifetime, like since I started playing viola and paying attention to the Nashville Symphony at all, they've held auditions for two seats in the viola section. Like, yeah, I mean it. that's a seat you take and then you don't you leave die it. it. Did you, yeah, you happen to watch the movie Tar? Mm-mm. What? Tar, like, like, like sticky like stuff. Like Lydia Tar? Tar. Well, it was Kate Blanchett who was a lesbian icon, even though she's uh, not a lesbian. She plays. So it was last year. She was up for the Oscar for best performance, was also up for best film. Unfortunately, it was a tough race with um, Everything Everywhere. But I think if Everything Everywhere All at Once wasn't up and it wasn't Michelle's time, uh-huh. honestly, probably one of the best performances from Kate Blanchett I've ever seen. And that's hard oh, yeah. to say, given the fact that it's Kate Blanchett. But she plays this incredibly like complicated lesbian maestro and she's like and it really shows that you have to see it i i i like it's not that i made a choice not to i'm just like for some reason movies just like i know she busy also <laughs> the pandemic have like well you can watch it on demand tar tar you will love it and then text me and tell me what you think but i love that it shows the process and the longevity of those seats You know what I mean? And kind of the business of classical music and those orchestras. And, you know, it's just definitely a very 
Yeah, you're right. It's like the desk job sort of alternative. That's why I had asked about like session or, you know, you can sometimes become a session musician or, or, you know, whatever, or join a band. There's so many different avenues. Were you doing drag in Rochester or was that something or in Texas or did you wait until you made your full return home to Nashville? Yeah. And it didn't start until. So I guess I waited is the short answer. Um, But yeah, it didn't start until 2014 when I got back to Nashville. So I came back in April of 14 and that fall, I kind of like fell into it. I knew drag existed for sure by like age like 16. I can like remember for sure that I knew it existed by then because I was maybe even a little bit before that I was going to these like support group meetings called one in teen, which is like a play on like the statistic of one in 10, but it was like a teen support group. Um, And I think I was not even out at the time. I was just like more going like like, with my like out queer friends who were maybe like trying to be like, hey, sweetie, like, (laughs) like, come on. Because it was more it was more that I didn't know than it was that I was hiding in the closet. Everybody else knew before me. Um, but I was going to that group and there was a either like a just slightly a like, you know, like early 20s who was like filling like a mentor role or like an older teen. But I remember them like carving hip pads in one of these meetings and being like, what are you doing with that couch cushion? And that's like what I really remember is like my first kind of introduction to the existence of drag. Then I turned 18 and I got to start going out, um, you know, to to play in the clubs in Nashville. And I mean, at the time, like Nicole Ellington Dupre, who was like a legendary, has been performing regularly in Nashville for like 25, 30 years at this point. Like that's my drag mother. She was on cast at play and just like incredible. Like I never saw her leave the stage, not like drenched in sweat because she would just give everything, every single number. Um, there was like the Velcro Venus Versage. And so there was like this, this like really kind of like, classic nashville drag that i was seeing that i was like oh wow like this is really cool um the princess was here she was going by this the punk funk fairy tale the princess and everything was spelled with a ph or a p so love it (laughs) so it was alliterated they had the like the early 2000s nashville drag you had a tagline like the innocence of beauty nicole ellington dupre the velcro venus versage like everybody had like that tagline what's your tagline right now it's the mouth of the south for two reasons (laughs) <laughs> um oh. and, you know or you know i can if it's somewhere that's pg i can be like tennessee advocate of the year or whatever it is right now that's a very uh, big chasm difference yeah. <laughs> the mouth right. of the south and the advocate of the year i'm dead i love it um, and so like that's where i started seeing it and then i went off to school and the first time i ever like maybe we talked about this last week there was um like a an orientation for freshmen at my undergrad that the sophomores would kind of like show up back to school like a week early if they wanted to do this committee and like help put on sort of this orientation week for the freshmen. And at some point during that, there's this like kind of like tradition that like they do like a presentation in one of the halls at the school. And for some reason, I was going to be a character that was like slightly cross-dressed. And that was the first time I like put on makeup or like any sort of like anything like with the As a sophomore or as a freshman? As a sophomore. Okay, okay, okay. I was like, damn, that's a bold, you know, freshman first week. Right, <laughs> right. And, you know, you probably could have talked me into it. You probably could have been like, sure. you want to put some makeup on? And I would have been like, sure. Um, and so, like, that's the first time I remember, like, intentionally trying to be like, I'm trying to express femininity on stage. Yeah. Um, and then there was, like, a time after that where I was at this bar called Mothers that Pandora Box came from in mm-hmm. Rochester that no longer exists. And Samantha Vega, who still works in Rochester, was the queen emceeing that night. And I 
I think I was under 21, but for some reason they like accidentally just like, I gave them my real ID and they misread it or something and gave me a wristband. And I was like, well, when opportunity strikes Correct. and was just like heckling the MC and she'd had it by intermission. So she like dragged me out of the audience and put me in like 20 minute drag and threw me on stage. So that was like the first time that I was like, okay, I'm performing a number. And then just kind of like, didn't really do anything with it. And then I moved back here and you know of Cameron Michaels, I'm sure. Of you course. So Cameron's from Nashville. And when I first moved back, like we kind of had this like there was a boy that we both were kind of like whatevering around and kind of like met each other through that and went on like a date and I had a crush. And so I was like going to all of her shows and then like just kind of met all the drag queens through just always being drag shows. And like then there was this weird period where for some reason like within like a week, like I'm not exaggerating, but like three strangers and like three friends all unprompted were like, you should, you should do drag. And like, at, after like number six, I was like, I guess I should see what the universe is telling me to do. And then when all of that was happening, like play the big gay bar here announced they were restarting like an open stage night. And I was like, well, I mean, is it going to line up any other way than this? I was like, going to say the stars are aligning. Yeah. And so then I just like December, I think it was December 27th of 2014. I like hopped on stage at an open stage and like just, I guess, took off running because I. It, what did you perform? Do you remember? The very first thing I performed, I I think it was Burning Up by Jesse J. Mm, it's a strong one. Again. Yeah, which is not not where my character has landed by any means. I think it was just kind of like that was like the pop music that I was hearing at the time. Sure. I don't know if we talked about this last week. Also, I find that like I didn't necessarily start with the character and then learn the technique to get to her. I kind of was like, I guess I'm doing drag now and spent a lot of time kind of like doing studies. Like there's a period in my Instagram where you can tell I was going through like my monochromatic era. And Ooh, like, that. OK. And then I go to like my complimentary color era and I like there's a lot of playing with color story that happened. And like, you know, I like did this with my makeup for a while and this for my makeup for a while. And like now I'm like very kind of like settled on a lot of it. Like I know what my like preferred hair colors are. And I know that like my aesthetic is kind of like Botox mom from the South, <laughs> like a kind of my favorite big aesthetic hair, ever. God, lots of body, um, lots of perfume. Um, definitely likes wine and vodka. You know, and, you know, my my character and, and myself have become more and more kind of the same person. Got it. But yeah, like it took me a, a while to get there. But yeah, so like Burning Up was not that was just kind of like, a I don't know, I guess this is like a good song that drag queens seem to do. And I'm trying drag. So it is a good one. It's always tragic to me on RuPaul's Drag Race, which I think is what a lot of people in this country first know of drag. I mean, some people don't have haven't been to a drag show, but like definitely have seen or at least know about Drag Race. Oh, and yeah. it's always so tragic to me when they give them these like B-side songs that are just way too meta. Like no one, yes, do I like that 1980s like Tina Turner that two people know about? Like, correct, yes I do. But is that the song? Like, or Aretha Franklin, like, Cadillac, Pink Cadillac, is that the song we're gonna do? It's not the song. Like, right. I need tempo oh. of some kind on television. Because again, very different when you're in person. I mean, I love a ballad, don't get me yeah, wrong. But it's hard to get that, especially without like, I mean, you know, like we we look at like um, Chi Chi, like doing, uh, I, and I am telling you, you know, oh, and like that, I'm that managed to have impact. But like, that's like, 
the exception. Correct. With these like ballads and stuff. And it does seem like they'll choose a ballad that's like, not only is it a ballad, like you said, it's a deep cut. Like, deep cut. Like, and Mama I, I Rue to, knows what she's doing. But I'm like, also well, it's like, I mean, not to everybody knows when they listen to my show, I like tell everyone Santa doesn't exist a million times. It's all music licensing issues as well. So it's like very obvious what they were able to get a license for yeah. or not, which is why, I mean, even when Ariana was on, I think it was like a not the best Ariana Grande song, if I remember correctly, where I'm like, really? That's the one? Like, Because the first time she was on, she did break, it was season seven, I think. And it was break free. And they recorded that before. Like that was actually part of like break free's like release tour. Which is smart. Yeah. Like very smart. Cause they recorded it before it was even released. Um, and then honestly, like having Jaden, like tear it up, like tear it up. Jaden, so sickening. But I yeah, can't remember this season. I just remember being like, really? Like, hmm, okay. I was just very thankful that Jojo Siwa, while made an appearance on All Stars, we didn't have to. I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have been able to stomach a Jojo Siwa song having been performed. So I was just very grateful, grateful for that, you know, because that would have just been so uncomfortable for all yeah. of us involved. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um. I loved when, so you and I were being interviewed by So House um, yeah. because that seemed to be what we were doing this earlier this week or last week, <laughs> and which was wild. I didn't even know what we were doing. If I'm being really honest with you, I literally got an email however many days before and was like, what? Sure. What? Great. Sure, but yeah. I was, <laughs> I fell in love with you immediately, and I also really loved your commentary background and real perspective on the link of drag music and Nashville and the and you know kind of the vibe there and i wanted to talk a little bit more about it here cuz i just loved it you started to you know really talk about how kind of commercial country music and when country music the dolly partons of the world in the 1970s really went for it and how it's no mistake that that is the same time. And if I'm totally botching this, I apologize and correct me. But it was sort of also the rise of drag in Nashville as well. And really the aesthetics of rhinestone, color, glitz, glamour yeah. over the top really was happening yeah. at the same time. Can you talk a little bit more about I just loved that perspective. Yeah. And I and like I every time I talk about this, like if you're somebody who's like a queer historian out there that wants to come like dig deep and help me have like really hard facts about this, because I'm kind of like looking at the data and like looking at what's out there and like what I know about Nashville and kind of like drawing some like some theorems and some conclusions here and there. But I mean, like you were saying, so you look at 1970s Nashville country music and and for this conversation, I'll I'll use Dolly Parton and Porter Wagner as a representation of that era and that high glitz, that high glamour, the rhinestone cowboy sort of era. That's happening in Nashville in the same time period as Miss Gay America, which is the first of the like major national drag pageants at, as we know them today. That really kind of like started that situation. So 1976, Miss Gay America starts right here in Nashville. Um, and you've got that going on at the same time. And so this, this kind of like side by side of like glitz, glamour, rhinestones, like why, like why are there stores in Nashville that are completely dedicated to glass beads? Like who's keeping them? You know what I mean? And so you think about that and it's like, okay, there must be a connection there. And then beyond that, I mean, you know, like 
maybe people aren't out, but you hear rumors about these designers of that era that like there's some, sure. you know, there's a queer storyline there and, you know, people who are stylists and makeup artists and, and work right. Like, especially the like women of country, like the female powerhouses of country uh, are just so classically like supported by queer people and yeah. queer men and, and this intersection here in Nashville, I mean, I think it makes a lot of sense. I mean, you even see um, with Reba uh, at some point, I want to say in like the, the late 90s, there's a performance of Fancy um, with a Reba impersonator that they like did a stage trick. I love it. Where like the drag queen like takes her place as like a stunt double at one end so she can like make it in so they can do like a quick change. And um Cody, I can't remember the last name right now. They recently passed. Um, so like, and, and Reba actually like made a statement when they passed, um, which was really cool as well. And she's actually been very supportive of the queer community here. I mean, I remember the first few years I was back, I was involved in the Hot Mess Sports League here, which is like a queer kind of like social sports league that gay people, of course, also get competitive in. It's like drunk and scary, but also a lot of fun. That's wild. Uh, I Honestly, the whole queer sport, like, how many lesbians do I know who are on a dodgeball, basketball, or soccer league? I'm like, you guys, don't make, I can't now do sports. Like, I can only do so much, but I'm very, I'm, I'm very impressed by it. It's a, it's yeah, a yeah, huge yeah. Like, thing. Go off, but also like when the, when the like drag involves like gay oh, men and lesbians want to get involved in like the rugby and then call out because they broke their ankle again. Like, stop playing sports. <laughs> stop playing sports for sure. For sure. <laughs> Stop it. Yeah. So I, uh, I remember at one point we were at play and maybe it was for obscenity's birthday. Obscenity's a Reba impersonator that lives in Nashville and, and works in drag now. And maybe it was for her birthday or something, but Reba sent in like a, like a happy birthday video. That's or, cool. Yeah. Like super sweet. I'm always a fan of her. I mean, I remember seeing her one time I was helping my dad chaperone an event at the country music hall of fame. That was like a, a panel that she was on. And I just was so impressed with her at that. Like Reba McIntyre is fabulous. Anyways, I've gotten off track a little bit. About I mean, her. also Winona Judd, like a uh, drag. Eye. I mean, all of these, I think it's the hair. It's the, like you said, I mean, you see real comparisons in terms of style fashion, et cetera. I mean, I've said this a thousand times on this show and others. The fact that the Kardashians and everyday women, myself included, now incorporate contouring in their everyday lives. I did a video with Monet Exchange and Allure Magazine where Monet really kind of went through what contouring uh -huh. is and how drag makeup evolved, et cetera. Uh -huh. And I think it's why, like, people don't realize, I think, every day how much the practices of drag have infiltrated everyday life across complete general population, yeah. you know? Like, yeah. glitter, like, all of it, you know? I mean, it's really quite extraordinary, but I think when you dropped that bombshell, like, yeah, duh, look at the 1970s, see what was going on with mm -hmm. Miss Drag USA and kind of these pillars in the country, you know, music community, Nashville is like lights, action, camp, like, you know, it yeah. just makes so much sense. And so I think that's why it's such a shame that really Nashville and, and Tennessee, obviously, altogether was the first place that really kind of popular, popularized popularized? Is that the right word? Why does that sound so strange? I feel like I'm having a stroke. Just go with it. <laughs> this whole drag is dangerous bullshit. And that is like, ugh, it's such a bummer, 
You know, and I wonder like if we were to go to like the microfish machine in the library and like go through a bunch of news articles, like how much of this fight has been had before? I wonder, you know what I mean? Because Nashville's I, I, I say this more metaphorically than anything, but I mean, it's always been sort of a battleground city. And like culturally, did the Civil War ever end here? Well, I, listen, I've never been to Nashville, which is a crime. It really is. My best friend, born and raised there, it's horrible. I can't believe it hasn't happened. Now, half of my friends live in Nashville because yeah. they all left LA. So I will be coming. Well, we're building not... like a brand new production lot and everything too. So like, oh, well, we can so find maybe... things to do. Yeah, we can find things to do. But so I can't really speak to like, you know, I haven't been there. So it's not something that I'm t totally knowledgeable about in terms of like, did the Civil War end there? I don't know. Um... But I mean, I guess, you know, if we want to really wax philosophical on that as well, it's like, in what way does a civil, like, especially culture war, like, does it end or does it like fizzle? Like, is it, you know, I mean, yeah. we just recently, I, I think it was last year, we just had Nathan Bedford Forrest's bust removed from our state capital. Like, why is the Grand Wizard of the KKK being lauded in our state capital? So you know, I mean, like, there was a sort of a long standing kind of like local cultural like battle that people knew about here where there was again Bedford Forest a like massive statue situated in Williamson County just south of Nashville right along the interstate that like for years like people were just kind of like ugh it's the south is what we put up with and then a few years ago like it got vandalized like people dumped like a bunch of fucking pink paint on it and maybe lit it on fire and then i think like the owners were like well we're just gonna leave it as an eyesore to remind people of the vandalism this that and the other and then the state was like okay well we're not gonna cut the grass in front of it anymore and now you can't see it and i think it finally got taken down so you know just little things like that and you know we're dealing with like our state legislature right now and like the obvious like krista fascist and the racist and like probably some serious kkk carryover that's happening there like Woof, like still Woof. very scary shit. But the culture of like the people of Tennessee, like outside of sort of these like power structures, I, I don't feel like we see, we don't see it as intentionally. Obviously, like America, you have to view through like the lens of white supremacy and racism just all the time because it's have pervasive, to. it's systemic, it's everywhere. But I think in general, I, I just, I am a very visibly queer person. And I think that the narrative that like the rest of the country and the world is being told about Nashville, Tennessee, the Mid-South, the rural South, is that like that it's a like a terrifying like zombie apocalypse wasteland for queer people. And yes, we do have to have our wits about us. But I think that that narrative erases the existence of queer Southerners. Yeah, and there are so many of us here. So and, many and and visible like yourself yeah. and pra in Austin, in Houston, in da like those are major, major. I mean, Texas alone is a major drag state as well. I mean, Atlanta, I've been Atlanta pretty gay. Yeah, pretty I've gay. been to some, you know what I mean? Some yeah. real Miami, turned up. Miami is hella gay. Orlando so, is pretty damn gay. Like Orlando is very gay. Um, And so I think you're right. I, and that's why I really wanted you to talk about it because I think you're right. I think, and listen, you and I were, you know, interviewed by a lovely person in another country. And that's kind of what I was saying when you, before you and I were recording today is like, sometimes it feels a little like, ooh, are you guys okay? And listen, yes, all of these things are happening. There's also massive attacks on people with female body, like female organs. And like, you know what yeah. I mean? And like reproductive yeah. organs. Like yeah. we're, we have a huge 
fucking problem right now where people are trying to target reproductive rights and it is not good. But like, am I okay as a woman in America right now? Like, I'm all right. You know what I mean? I'll still fuck a bitch up in the street if I need to, you know? Like, we're good. So Nashville has really also become this bachelorette destination Mm -hmm. how has that impacted drag shows and such i think i mean i think nationally well i guess twofold good and good and bad um obviously like bachelorette parties love to go to drag shows love them and nashville is a destination city for bachelorettes so most of the people that come here for bachelorette parties come here with the intention of spending money that they maybe shouldn't spend and some percentage of that money ends up in drag queens pockets we love that we love it um I think that like a lot of like drag race somewhere around season seven or eight tipped into like mainstream started to notice. Like it went from like niche queer content to like now America notices. And I think that like that led to these bachelorettes who maybe knew nothing about drag now being like, oh my God, I want to go see drag. And so groups of people who just like hadn't been at drag shows or really spent a lot of time in like specifically queer spaces were all of a sudden like thrust in to these spaces and mass with like no experience of how to act and alcohol is mixed in. So then you see like two, three years ago, like this sort of like national conversation, if you're on the internet about it, where it's like gay men are being like, I'm so sick of bachelorette parties in my mm-hmm. bar. And bachelorette's being like, our money is green. And like, we're just like, we just we just want you to not rip our clothes off when you tip us. Like, just just like a is little decor. Is that what they're doing? They're rip. Oh, for Well, it's just, loud. it gets like, because a lot of these bachelorette parties, like somebody in the group has been to a strip club before. And so like $1 gets handed over and their drunk brain goes like, ah, strip club. Totally. <laughs> just kind of like, that's not what it is. But I think now that that conversation has happened, I I don't feel nearly as much of a problem about it. I, I feel like bachelorettes have either like figured out that like there's a decorum that needs to be held, you know, or like gay men have figured out how to like handle that in the spaces. Sure. But I, I think it's like chilled out a little bit. I think it also depends on where you are. I do a lot of my events in like cocktail clubs, hotel spaces. Like I'm not in like nightclub, nightclub all the time. And so, like, maybe, like, the nightclubs are still seeing a little bit more of that kind of, like, what everybody was bitching about a couple of years ago experience. But, I mean, from an economic standpoint, like, it's a butt in a seat that bought a ticket and they're going to tip. Have you ever auditioned for RuPaul's Drag Race? Yeah, like, I, I at this point, I say it's just, like, that's just what drag queens do in December. That's what I feel like it is. And and what is that audition process like? Is it on tape? Yeah, so it's a self-tape. Um, and... It changes like a little bit from year to year. I've done it, I think, five times at this point. And it's always been like a 20 minute. Um, so there's a a written application to start with. And the written application is like pretty significant, but it's very much like tell the producer stuff we could make a storyline about kind of yep. questions like favorite music artists. Like, what do you like about this decade? Like, what's your favorite? You know, basically like that, that kind of questionnaire. Um, what's your then, sob like, story like are your parents yeah. alive yeah yeah, yeah. yes that right. kind of stuff um and like basic background info as well and so then like and then you submit that like they're like you got to do this to then do this to then do this and it's like nobody's reading that before like nobody's reading my 150 question questionnaire in the two minutes between when i submitted it and you sent me the legal <laughs> like, got it and then you sign your life away and then they send you the tape instructions and the tape instructions it's basically like you you do a slate and then like yep. a like a kind of like two minutes worth of like, tell us your story. 
Um, and then in they want drag, to see, though. Well, they want to see some out of drag and some in drag. And it's one of those things that it's like at first reading, if you've maybe never done like a audition like this before, you're like, oh, God, like I cannot have more than 120 seconds of me out of drag. And then you kind of realize like down the line, like it's reality television. If if you stick for them, you stick for them. Like, like mm -hmm. do what you fucking want in the video. And so like now I'm kind of in this place of like trying to like strike the balance and like not be frustrated with it, but like also just like get it done. And it puts me through it. <laughs> Like it puts me through it mentally and emotionally every year because I'm like, ah, like, I just want to, like, move forward and not have to, like, dig out of my closet and find these news articles and, like, do all this stuff. It's just, listen, I think the net net for me is I feel like drag has become this massive business. It's this, mm -hmm. like, it's everywhere. It's everywhere you turn, like. The Met Gala is drag. I, when I do glam with my girl Madi, like. I mean, I would be arrested in Tennessee. It, I look completely different. I mean, I think I look the better version of myself, but like, I love it. I love the whole process of it. I like know, like I said, I think it's so awesome that like the words contour, body shape, like these are things that drag performers have been doing for so long. Theater performers before that were, you know, many people, you know, played characters of different genders and it wasn't a fucking big deal. Duh, yeah. Shakespeare, Twelfth Night. But the business well, in that, of in in that vein, like it's it's really interesting because we talked, I think, briefly last week about about the RuPaul's. It's almost cliche at this point. We're all born naked, and the rest is drag. And the point of that is that like we are we are born a flesh sack, and like everything else we do is a choice we make about our presentation to the outside world. Like how far you go with that, like that's up to you. But you know, like there are very few of us that just roll out of bed and walk out the door naked. You know what I mean? A hundred percent. Unless you're yeah. like a little cute baby. Wait, last question. How did you come up with your name? I cannot believe I didn't ask you that before. Oh, I am gosh. so um, sorry. So I I don't remember like exactly how I got to wanting my initials to be Vag, but I, I knew I wanted the initials to be Vag and I knew I wanted it to sound Southern. And so that was kind of like my parameters that I worked from. Mm. Um, I know like since that initial decision, like I've been like, oh, I did this thing. Like now, like what weight does that carry? So like now it's like a very much like, like it's not a bad word. It's a fucking body part. Like A. Right? And like I like and I actually get like a lot of joy because people tell me all the time like, oh, I was like talking to you about my parents and I forgot that like people aren't used to people just saying the word vag out loud. And I was like, oh, yeah, I was at Vag's show and my parents were like, what? <laughs> and, you know, then they're like, oh, yeah, it's just like this drag queen. Da, 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 da. So like that. And then so I wanted it to sound Southern. And so I, you know, the gentry came pretty easily. Like that's just like kind of a classic like G Southern name. And then Anne, like I was like, you know, we need it to be like one punchy syllable in the middle. And so then like the Vidalia part was like what really kind of took a minute to work out because, you know, like Victoria and Veronica and Viola and all the, these other V's were like coming to, to the tip of my tongue and it just didn't have the punch to it. And there was a bartender who uh, like jokingly called another employee at this one bar, Vidalia, because he worked in the kitchen and after work would smell like onions. And so it was like, oh, hey, Miss Vidalia. And like the person who was jokingly called Vidalia happened to like walk in front of me as I was like trying to figure out this name and I was like, what about Vidalia and Gentry? And I like either like bounced it off of somebody next to me or sent a text message. And like one other person was like, that's the one, that's it. It sticks. Keep it. And so that's where it came from. <laughs> well, there you have it. My misconception that the South is a barren desert of toothless homophobes is wrong. Just as those 
who think that California is just a bunch of liberal hippies couldn't be further from the truth, too. I've learned this pride that we can't let the narratives of others define us. There is a thriving, happy, and committed queer community in Tennessee that we need to support. I hope that by all of us learning and talking and communicating and meeting new people, we can get to the larger issues at hand and stop wasting our time with anti-drag bills. Cause like, drag ain't going anywhere, you know? Vidali and I, we talked for a long time. And so I'll put that whole episode on my Patreon for those that wanna take a listen. Um, but until then, send me your favorite barbecue spots all over the country. doesn't have to be Nashville specific. Because uh, I got to tell you, this interview made me not only very happy, but very hungry. 